Hey there, welcome back to the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach. In this episode, we're talking about a model neutral and scale-free approach to enterprise agility called the top structure. We'll be looking at what sets it apart from other approaches, why it was developed and how you can start using it. Make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes and enjoy the show. You're tuned in once more to the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm your host, Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach. And today we're going to be diving into some alternative ways of working in the Agile world. And that's where our guest comes in. It's great to be welcoming Michael to the show. Michael, how are you today? Hi, it's Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Now, Michael, for those that aren't familiar with you and your work, tell us a little bit more about you. Okay, so who am I? I'm working as an Agile coach and consultant for a number of years already. Started getting into the space of uh, consultancy as a software consultant. Uh, first software testing, uh, test management, project management, everything. <laughs> if it's an IT, I've probably taken the role. I went into Lean Six Sigma even before I ever heard about Agile Manifesto and from Six Sigma, explored Kanban, and that was my ticket into the Agile world. Learned about Scrum in 2008 in uh, what I would say probably pretty terrible adoption, but that's a whole different story to tell. And I didn't like Scrum for a while, but uh, then I had the pleasure of working with a good Scrum team in 2011. And from there, with the consultancy I used to work I used to be the CTO there. We had our own agile transformation. We shifted everything from the traditional waterfall model into an agile organization, changed our DNA. And I've been doing a lot of consulting, not only in the space of uh, team level agility, but also working with enterprises uh, and companies of all sizes. So if you're a small garage startup and we're thinking, how can we improve our ways of working? I've done that. If you're a medium-sized company who says uh, we've reached a growth threshold and now we need to really get our processes straight, how can we do that without getting ourselves into a mess? Done that. If you're an international enterprise working with uh, partners and suppliers everywhere, you probably have pretty much complexity, lots of rules and regulations. You might think that the bang for the buck we're getting is probably not so optimal. What can we do about it? <laughs> also done that and all those experiences together over the years from dozens of companies from hundreds of teams i've worked with uh, in small medium and large constructs some more agile some as agile as a brick as i like to say and yeah i've compiled some of the learnings into this thing that i call the top structure which is a framework neutral approach to get more agility into your ways of working and to create an organizational system that does not only deliver software or other products in an agile fashion, but that itself is an agile adaptive organization. So we had the COVID. What was it? It was a big shock to our ways of working. Some organizations could adapt quickly. Others didn't really know how to adapt. Then the interest rates took a hike again. Some companies took it very well, others died from that, business models collapsed, and that is not something you do on an agile team delivery level. For that one, you need to have organizational agility. 
And organizational agility allows you to not only deliver well, but also to make the changes you need, how you need them, when you need them, and that is the top structure. Okay, so you've been there, you've done that in a range of different environments, backgrounds, company sizes, industries. You've experienced various different approaches to ways of working from Scrum to Kanban, and you've taken upon yourself to create something new. Now, the top structure, for those of us, uh, or those listeners that aren't familiar with it, and you, you just introduced it now, why did you create it? And what's what's the context for its creation and, and, and its relation to agility? You mentioned the organizational agility side. Now, the really agile people might hate me for starting with this one, but the idea actually came from SAFE. Um, <gasps> Blasphemy. Oh, I joke. I joke. Yeah, no, I'm actually, not. I'm not. A, I'm not a safe. I'm not a person who's, who critiques safe and says it's really bad. It's it's an option out there. It can be really great for lots of companies. But I'm not going to sit here and bash it all the time like many people do. But anyway, so your inspiration was was safe. Uh, yes and no. Uh, so actually, I got the learnings because of safe. Uh, because hard to say whatever we would say. There are some things safe does right that other agile approaches don't address. We may complain a lot about details in SAFE, and there are people who are really nitpicky about it. I don't care what helps the organization to be more successful is good. If SAFE is that, then let them use SAFE. If SAFE is not that, then <laughs> if you need a hammer, don't give him a screwdriver. And uh, if uh, you need a how to say power drill, then you need a power drill. But uh, if you use the wrong tool, you always get bad outcomes. So something safe is the right outcome. But uh, let's just talk about a little bit more detail. One thing I realized is that uh, the Agile world is very focused on the delivery of uh, products in Agile teams. That is an important problem to solve. And Agile teams are part of the journey. The agile ways of working are much bigger than agile teams. But the problem that I encountered in many organizations is that in the end, uh, when push comes to shove, based on the way Scrum is designed, the product owner is the key decision maker who decides what is being worked on and what isn't. Of course, the product is how we earn money. And so why shouldn't we do that? That works when it works. Uh, but this is, you may have realized, I mean, Chris, you've been working with many teams already. Technical debt. The team says, we really got to clean up our architecture, our infrastructure. We need to remove those outdated classes. And the product owner says, later? Now we got to deliver this stuff because the customer's already at the doorstep. Have you let's get those new features like done first, right? Yeah, let's get those new features done first. And oft often technical debt is a bit of an afterthought. You know, it's, it's sometimes really difficult even to get the business uh, and products people to commit to a percentage of your capacity to deliver towards technical debt. And the way I often describe technical debt is it's a bit like uh, when you... Uh, when you don't go to the dentist for a long time and the consequence of not going to the dentist for a long time is that problems are building up in your mouth and eventually that causes you to maybe need to have something major done like a, a proper tooth removed or a, 
a cavity being filled. If you were going regularly, i.e. dealing with technical debt as you went along, it's less likely that these large events that are costly and painful and, and difficult to bear come up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to get my teeth cleaned very frequently. And ever since I've been doing that, I didn't have a single cavity, even though the dentist checks uh, frequently. But uh, before that, like you say, I had exactly that issue. I didn't go to the dentist for two years. And let's just say afterwards, he made a pretty penny off me. <laughs> and not just the fact that uh, he made a pretty penny, I had uh, now had eight fillings done in a single session, which was not only not fun, but of course, this is permanent damage to my teeth. I can't undo it. And with technical debt, sometimes it's the same thing. Now this feature is critical. Let's deliver it. Take care of the technical debt later until, and I have seen this. Now I used to work with one organization where the CEO told me, we've got a huge problem. Our organization is completely overheated. Our IT processes don't match our organizational processes. We can't stuff enough people to work off the work, so we need IT automation. But in order to automate this, we need to exchange our entire IT landscape, and it's going to cost us more than the value of this company. And that is technical debt when you leave it unchecked for a decade. Mm. And so we have this issue, the entire reason why I'm getting into this. Uh, if the product owner is the only person making decisions what gets worked on and what doesn't. If you don't have very strong developers who can communicate very well in a language that the product owner understands why we should be investing into technical debt, chances are the technical aspect of the work gets overrun by product work because there's always product work. After this feature comes the next feature. And the customer has more demand. I mean, that is good business if we have more demand than we can fulfill. But if we're always putting the technical debt on the back, it will kill us. So how do we put the technical parts of the work into our organizational design? How do we make sure that technology and product, they get, I'm not saying equal shares, but appropriate shares of the capacity that is available? This one, SAFE, in my opinion, does very well by introducing this role of the architect by saying that there's a person standing next to the product manager who says that I have a full understanding of what is happening technically, where we have technical debt, where we need to even proactively do something on our technology so we can deliver features better. That is the architectural runway concept in SAFE. And the architect tells the product manager, look, this PI, we're going to need 10% capacity for technical work. And the architect is able to communicate in a language that the product manager understands of why this investment pays. And so that is something that, in my opinion, SAFE has done pretty well. But now let's get to the third problem. And that is, uh, I mean, we have the Scrum Master in Scrum and they are working with the team. The reality that we very often see, <laughs> have you ever gotten approached with, oh, we need a Scrum Master to configure the Jira and track the work of the teams? Yeah, the, the Scrum Admin. Yeah. So 
many organizations, they don't even know what a Scrum Master is even supposed to be for. And we could have a one-hour talk on that one, but I want to keep sure it short. Is um, that the system that we work in, the organizational design that we have to take care of is being shaped in a Scrum team by the Scrum Master. If they are doing their job well, they are not just helping the team manage their work, but they are actively shaping a system within which the team can optimally perform. It doesn't mean they do all the work, but they understand which work needs to be done and which of that work is important. And they're able to coach not only the team, but also the other stakeholders in order to understand which changes are necessary so that the team can perform better. So that is a good Scrum Master. But usually we don't see that when the Scrum Master says, look, we need to make some changes that will not only help us today, but also in the future, and management is paying attention to them. We don't see that very often. So we have three levers for a successful team. The first one is... They need to have a successful product. No way around it. No successful product. Why do we even have the team? But then we have the technology with which the product is realized. And then we have the organizational system that supports this. Both backward facing. So how are we delivering currently and how do we improve that? And what is coming tomorrow? So we have technology, organization, product, and that is top, T-O-P. All right, excellent. So we've, we've clarified what TOP stands for, technology, organizational system, and product. Now, how does it differ from the alternatives out there? We talked about SAFE. There are other approaches to agility. How does it differ from ones that others may be more familiar with? Well, uh, the TOP structure is not your traditional delivery framework. SAFE is a delivery framework for a large organization. Scrum is a delivery framework for a team. Kanban is mostly a way of managing work, even though Kanban operates in a Kanban system, ideally. It is not just a board. But again, that's a totally different discussion. But the key thing is that with, with the top structure, I say what I focus on is mostly the first value of the Agile Manifesto, people and interactions over processes and tools. We talk about that so much, but even Scrum is considered a process in many organizations. And uh, in many organizations, the entire concept of Agile has lost the idea of being all about enabling the people to do what they need to do in order to succeed. What we see in Scrum, and that is, in my opinion, the open gap in Scrum, and it's left out in Scrum on purpose, so it's not a fault of Scrum, is what if the team doesn't float in an empty space, but they need to interact with others in their organization, with management, with other teams, with other departments, with customers? How do we do that in Scrum? What's Scrum's mechanism for that? It's not a criticism of Scrum. Scrum doesn't answer it. So if you have Scrum and you need to interact with your surrounding environment, how do you do that? You don't have an answer in Scrum, so you need something else. SAFE tries to answer that uh, question with 
a very rigid structure. This is how you organize the multi-teams. That is how you plan across the teams. Then you have the communication hierarchy between product owners and product managers. You have the communication hierarchy between scrum masters and release train engineers, blah, blah, blah. Now we can go on that one in detail, but it doesn't help us make our point. The key thing is that is one way you can do it. But ultimately, what always matters is not the formal process, but you have two people. In this example, it's you and me. There are things that we understand very well when we talk with each other and things where we have different concepts and we create misunderstanding. How do we resolve those misunderstandings that not only impede our relationship, but also the work that we can do together? There's no magical formula for doing this, but there are things that based on my experience over the year, they work well and other things that don't work well. And so one of the things that tend to work well in my experience in the working world is uh, instead of just taking out the club and bludgeoning each other over the head and say, you are stupid, you're an idiot, you don't get it. All the, all the acts, if you may. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that might be even more effective, but it's not going to give you the results that you're going to get. Uh, I mean, you might win this argument like that, but you're not going to get the result you need. Because the reason why we tend to have conflict is because I want something else than you want. I mean, that's natural. That's the problem of negotiation. Yeah, we're all we're all individuals. We have our own needs, interests, passions, desires, and it's not about kind of forcing a compromise between those two, but finding and recognizing that we all are individual and have different needs, and how can we balance the needs of both in a way that allows us to work together well? Yeah, and uh, how to say that's already difficult on a team. It's more difficult when we have teams who are incentivized to do things that's mean they step on each other's toes. I mean, our classic example is that you're paying testers to report defects. So what will they do? They'll report defects. Yeah, okay. So what does that mean? When is the work going to get finished? I mean, if we tell testers that uh, your job description is report as many defects as you can, then the time between uh, creating a piece of software and getting it shipped to production, mm, it will get very long. Because mm. the testers, they will be very diligent and they'll find all of the defects. And I'm not blaming a tester for doing this. My goodness, I was a tester myself and I was really good at finding defects. Sometimes I reported 60 in a day. And some of those defects, I can tell you a really short anecdote uh, that I worked with a client uh, back in 2006 as a tester. And I was so good at creating defects that many of them, uh, they couldn't solve all of them because there were just too many of them. I left this client, I moved on to a different client and uh, five years later, I returned to that client in a completely different role. And then I got an email. Your ticket number XYZ was just closed. So <laughs> they took five years to work up the defects I produced in a year. That defect was not closed with resolved. It was closed with de-scoped. Uh, I'm not even sure whether they decommissioned the software in the meantime. But the key thing is it's easy 
to become an impediment to the delivery of value by doing what is the right thing for yourself based on your own role. If we take this one a step further, what we traditionally see is the clash between development and sales. Sales says, we just closed this deal. We're going to be all rich. Just one small favor we need from developers. Go build this, please. We've, we've promised them this. You've got to go build it now. Yeah, it's just one small favor. I mean, usually the developers will already feel their toenails curling up when the, when the sales says one small favor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, it's got to be done by this date because we promised the client it by this date, even though we've not interacted with you and found out how long it could take or whether it's even technically feasible or where it sits relative to all of the other priorities that we're already working through. But we've made this promise and, and we've earned some money from it. So you better go and deliver that quickly, please. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so I mean, what we see in that is to close the entire loop of this conversation is that uh, you started with we all as individuals have different needs. The same applies if we take one level of abstraction or different teams. Our different teams have different needs. If we take one level further, even as organizational units, departments or whatever, we also have different needs. And if we're in operating in a large enterprise context, we will see the same thing happening across companies. So if we are operating with our partners, our suppliers, our vendors, our customers. We also have different needs. But ultimately, behind all those needs are things that we want, a goal that we would like to achieve, a purpose that we would like to achieve, something. And there can be many things, but if I don't know what your goal is, what you would like to achieve, it's very easy for me to step on your toes. But if I know this, then I will know, oh, I could do it like this, then it works very well for me. But I could do it like that, then it gives Chris what he wanted, and it's just a little bit more effort for me. So is version A or version B the better version? If I'm only self-centered, version A is better. But if I keep the system in mind in which I operate, version B is better. But where on which forum do we talk about those things? Okay. I see that in many organizations, agile, not agile, it doesn't even matter. There is no forum where we talk about those things. The only thing that happens is that we throw work packages over the fence and then complain when we get something that we don't like, regardless of whether it's delivery package or whether we tell, I mean, our manager is giving us a, a new project assignment and then later somebody from wherever in the organization complains that the product is not what they expected or that it doesn't meet their needs or whatever. We're having those conversations too often retroactively when we already invested money, spent time and created high expectations that we don't meet. But that is stupid. There's a much better way and that is to talk before we invest time and money. Yeah. Shortening the feedback loop, yeah. keeping the feedback loop shorter so that we catch things early. Catch things early and don't try to make the big packages. Take one step and then, I mean, what are we doing in Scrum? We are not planning the quarter or the year. We are planning the sprint. 
But uh, sprints are one way to organize our work. With the top structure, I'm saying, I don't care how long it takes, but let's define the goal. Take one step, the smallest step that is possible. It could be a day, it could be an hour, it could be a week or a month in the end. Uh, for the top structure, that doesn't matter. But let's agree on common goals. My goal, your goal, our goal. Take one step, talk about what happened. Did it work? Did it play out in our favor? Yes or no? So like kind of a review. Then based on that one, we will probably need to make adjustments. And uh, from there, I'm going borrowing a bit from Lean Startup, pivot or persevere. We did something, we achieved something, we had some outcome. What do we do now? Do we do more of the same thing? Or do we need to go in a different direction? Or do we need to abandon everything and try something completely new? But if we want to do more of the same thing, and then we come to this one pattern that is the last step in a top cycle that, in my opinion, is very often forgotten in larger organizations. And that is what I call the scale across pattern. That is, it works for me. It works for you. Chances are it also works for somebody else. But are we pulling in those somebody else's? What do we typically see when we're having a, say, a sprint retro and we discovered that the results from last sprint, they were really great. Our team is much better now. Do we tell anyone about it? In my experience, we don't often tell anyone about it. Uh, this, is, this is why I'm such a big proponent of continuous improvement and continuous improvement at scale. That knowledge of those successes that that team have experienced and indeed their failures also is a resource that we don't often hear about in other areas. And if we do hear about it, it might be, you know, as a kind of byproduct of maybe a conversation during a, a community of practice session or otherwise, but it's not really, it's not really amplified. It's not really uh, an expectation. It just may happen. And I think that learning is such a resource that companies don't actively foster and, and try and encourage. And in particular, the failure part, we all fail, we all fuck up, we all make mistakes, but often we only hear about the successes. Okay. Yeah. And if we only hear about the successes, we get this false representation of how things are going. Think of social media. You only hear about the good parts of people's lives and it's just this pretty perfect representation of things. Yeah, when in fact, for people well. to... Yeah, but for people to get those successes, they'll they'll have failed a bunch of times first. For every every company out there that's like a like a Tesla, there's loads of companies out there that have tried and and failed to achieve that. But we don't hear about those because we've got this um this mindset of only sharing the wins. Whereas if we share yeah. those failures as we go along, we get to learn from those. If you, uh, what, what's that? What's the phrase? It's um if we erase the past, we're doomed to repeat it. And the same is true, I think, of, of teams. If we don't talk about those failures, odds are we'll repeat them. And indeed, other teams will be repeating them. Other parts of the company will be repeating those failures too. Yes, that's exactly the pattern of reinventing the wheel. And I mean, it's totally valid when a team has a failure X and says, oh, maybe we should have done something different. But... I mean, just think if it's your company, you're holding the wallet and it's how to say, let's be provocative and say it's either your new, new yacht or 
the retrospectives of the teams and you're hearing for the 17th time from a different team we tried x and x didn't work at some point if you it's your money and you're saying i'm losing my yacht over those same people learning the same things over and over again at some point you might get indignant <laughs> michael help help me understand what does that what does that word mean that that yacht i'm not familiar with it yeah the big boat sports boat oh sorry sorry okay uh yacht yachts is uh that, yeah. that's the term yeah. i'm familiar with hearing so you're you're yeah you're huge huge boat you're yeah okay got you now so it's just yeah. the, the pronunciation wasn't wasn't familiar with me thank you that's totally cool but so if it was your choice which of the two would you choose the same teams repeating the same learnings over and over again or you want to have your boat <laughs> yeah i mean who who wouldn't want a boat yeah i mean that's the pr problem is that uh, if you're doing this way then you're giving the teams a bad rep in management and that is also how agile as a whole becomes this yeah we have to do it because everybody is doing it but uh, what's the minimum that we can do in order to uh, be called agile that doesn't even work but because of those kind of things happening in organizations because managers see those kind of things they see their bonus running away because teams are squandering time by not learning from each other adequately so that is why I say the scale across pattern is fundamental to a larger organization to be both effective and efficient. I mean, we could also talk about uh, efficiency is often considered a dirty word in the agile space. I say efficiency is a very good thing, but it must follow after effectiveness. Okay. Yeah, there's no point scaling an approach that's super uh, efficient if it's not delivering value, right? Yeah, but uh, if we already know how to deliver value properly, we would like to do it with minimal effort. Why not? Hmm. So, so I'm, I'm a, I've got a, a question. Hmm? A, a question's come to mind now, right? So you've mentioned about this, this pattern, scale across, right? You've identified something that's working really well with one team. Let's try and enable other parts of the organization to benefit from that. Now, I believe one of the uh, the selling points of top as a structure is that it's model neutral and scale free. Exactly. So if we're saying scale across, but then we're also saying it's a scale free approach, what, what does that mean? Tell me more about that. Well, scaling in this one is a very, very loaded terminology. So we have to be, I don't say it's a scaling approach in a sense like a scaled agile or large scale scrum in a sense. The key thing is really just uh, instead of repeating, uh, reinventing the wheel, if we know that our context is just the local aspect of a bigger system then we should try to make a, at least create the opportunity for the larger system to take advantage of whatever we have it could be learnings it could be outcomes it could even be tools or whatever that we have created for ourselves in this one like i say i'm totally neutral i'm not telling you to do anything specifically just think about it who else would benefit from what we have okay thank you now we've we've touched upon this uh this learning being leveraged elsewhere and 
for me, that's a key part of continuous improvement. And you know me, Michael, I'm a continuous improvement focused guy. I love a good retrospective. So where does continuous improvement come into the top structure? Well, you look at the top cycle, it is continuous improvement as the basis for the entire structure by saying, let's first define the goal. Let's say who's collaborating on this goal, who's with me on that. What's the simplest thing we can do? Let's see what happens from that. What do we do with the outcomes? And uh, how can we benefit uh, elsewhere with the outcomes? That is continuous improvement. I mean, when you look at uh, Six Sigma, you have define, measure, analyze, improve, control. That is a five-step process. What I have is a six-step process, which takes only one extra step over other continuous improvement approaches like Six Sigma. And that is uh, the top coalition, which says that uh, we are not just trying to improve in our local context, but we are trying to bring together people who may not even come from the same context, but who need to collaborate in order to create a better outcome. Okay, so you've got a, a mechanism, which is the, the top coalition. Tell, tell us more about the top coalition. How does that work? Uh, the coalition, how to say, in my opinion, uh, is very easy to describe. It's the smallest amount of people who would have the big picture of what is happening and who can look at things from a different aspect. So the, again, top structure is technology organization product. Uh, there is a little bit more we can probably do, dig into the entire model of uh, where I place different things like where's the business on this, where's design on that, where's architecture. Um, to keep it very simple, people have different perspectives based on the jobs they do. I always suggest that with everything that you're doing, uh, if it's not something that you can do alone, always try to diversify your perspectives. Have Look at it from a technological perspective, from an organization and from a product perspective. What's going to happen if we do that thing? And uh, does it align with everybody's goals or just my goals? So the coalition, they bring together their goals. They define together what is the thing we would like to achieve and basically who does what. There's a few special aspects in a top coalition that go beyond uh, what I would call regular scrum. And that is, I always like to say that in a coalition, you should always have your manager involved. I don't necessarily want the manager to actively do many things, but managers, <laughs> by their very position, they see things that the team may not be aware of. And I want the team to know whether they are inadvertently stepping on somebody's toes or whether there is some information, if they had it, they would decide differently to give those kind of perspective to the team so that the team can get more autonomy. And if you're again looking at this, like I say, it's scale free. I just mentioned team. Maybe it's not a team. If you're in a safe context, it could be an anti-agile release train. If you're in a non-agile context, it could be a program. It could be, a, uh, how to say, the entire level below the CEO. So it could be that you have the CTO discussing with the COO and with the yeah, CPO, if you have something like that in the organization, the chief product owner or whatever, wherever they are. At least the key thing is you, you might be having the discussion between marketing, between uh, finance and between tech 
what are the things that we're trying to do, a small coalition so that you are not locally optimizing in one area of the organization, stepping onto each other's toes. And then the final role in the coalition that I call optional, but find very helpful to at least mention is that you might need a facilitator because everybody has their own interests. We talked about this. I have my needs, you have yours. And especially if you're in management circles, <laughs> it's usually a bonus attached. We can also talk very long about the impact that bonuses have on uh, the organizational outcomes. But uh, so you have managers who all want their bonus. And I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to say, I'll let go of my bonus so that you can have yours. So we might need a facilitator who is neutral, who says that, look, I don't have a stake in this at all. What I want is that you have the opportunity to not say it's me or yours, but how can we come to a point where everybody wins? Okay, so we're bringing together people, uh, a diverse group with representation from different areas of the business, perhaps technology, uh, products and uh, organizational system, including management. And we give them all a bit of a, a voice at the table, hopefully creating some alignment around the, the goals, facilitating them getting together. And uh, that's, that's your coalition. And their aim is not to optimize just locally, a bit more globally exactly and something that i might want to expand a little bit on i chose the term coalition deliberately because a coalition is a temporary construct that serves a specific purpose so you have one goal you form a coalition around that goal you have a different goal you form another coalition and I've been talking about this on LinkedIn uh, that uh, you don't always you don't have one goal in an organization. You have many goals. You have technological goals. You have organizational goals. You have uh, product related goals, and not just one product related goal. I mean, even you say, okay, we would like to have more customers. We would like have a bigger return on investment, and we would like to have a higher average revenue per user. That's three goals already, and all of them are valid. And you can subordinate everything to one of those goals and you have many goals and that in practice also means you might have many coalitions and you chris might be on two or three coalitions at the same time even though you are in one team where you're doing your work but because you know those different goals are being pursued and all of them are relevant to me so i'm in this coalition but the other thing is that not every individual in a team needs to be on one or more coalitions. It could be that, how to say, that for some period of time, a single team is in no coalitions at all because they're just doing their regular work, they're getting by and everything is cool. And it could be that in another situation, you have, for example, the lead developer who says that we're doing a major restructuring. I have to be in four coalitions. I'm sorry, that is taking time from me. I'm not working so much in delivery now, but we need to get this sorted because otherwise it's going to cost us tenfold in the mess that we need to clean up later. Okay, interesting. So I'm, I'm hypothetically in one team, four coalitions. Where am I going to get time to do the stuff, do the work? 
<laughs> that's a good thing. Uh, that's why I say the coalitions, they should be very, very lightweight. And uh, I'm not saying that the uh, coalition, it should take a lot of time from you. It could be that the coalition is nothing more than a Slack channel. So okay. that you say that we're meeting here to say that, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. This is uh, why I need you on board. Are you with me? Are you not? And if you're with me, then we might already be a coalition. And if you say, no, we need to discuss this, then we might have to have a discussion. The key thing is, if we don't have the discussion, but you say we need to talk about this, it's going to be cheaper if we talk it out than if we don't. And later you come with your nice little hatchet. Mm. Reminds me a bit like uh, dynamic reteaming, where you're organizing a group of people around solving a problem uh, and delivering an outcome rather than just having a, a fixed team with the same people working over and over on an endless you know, churn yeah. of features or otherwise. So uh, I am not sure whether you have heard of holarchies. I don't mean holacracy, but holarchy. Uh, I'm not, no, I'm familiar with holacracy, but not holarchy. <laughs> yeah, I always need to clarify that. So holarchy, if you go to spiral dynamics, it's... Uh, how to say how to say a dream state so to say but if you're going a little bit more pragmatic a holarchy is uh, where the entire structure is subordinate to the goal of the structure so as soon so how to say my goal is let's say to earn money your goal is to get some work done so we can take a step of our journey together you provide me money and you get your work done um but uh, if then I suddenly say that, okay, my goal is now to breach the top coalition. And you say your goal is that you want to finish your book. And maybe we can't go the next step together. But my goal is still valid and your goal is still valid. So we always have to see the short-term goals where we contribute as mutual peers. Mid-term goals that uh, lead us in the same direction. Long-term goals that we still focus on. In the short term, we will co have a coalition or maybe we can even form a temporary team in order to achieve our goals together. In the midterm, we might separate ways. In the long terms, we might meet up again. You see something very similar implemented in the way that Tesla works. Tesla does not have stable teams like we always get taught in the agile space. You have engineers who say that, okay, we got this problem to solve. Who's with me? They sit together and they don't go apart until their problem is solved. And then when they go apart, the issue is already solved. That is a totally different way of working. The top structure supports both ways. You have stable teams and you do not even have teams, but rather problem-oriented uh, coalitions and very short-term constructs. When you grasp the idea that is behind the top structure, then you will not rely on teams so much anymore. Okay. So, Michael, let's say I'm pitching top structure to one of my clients one of the first things they will ask me i guarantee is chris have you got any case studies have you got any examples of how this is being used in practice are there any companies clients of yours out there that are using top of the moment <laughs> sorry some things are really on the non-disclosure agreement uh, 
like I can say that uh, I, the top structure, it comes from the things that I have experienced in the past working with different organizations. Some of the agile release trains that I have created, they are using this uh, concept of top structure extremely well in order to deliver, how to say, not only software, but organizational change itself they used to start with uh, how to say <laughs> as i always like to say you have your org chart and then you turn it by 90 degrees and then you say okay that's our actual organization that's how they started but they are really working with those coalitions they have their stable teams where they are working they're forming coalitions get their problems solved and they are having massive changes over a very short period of time and the feedback from the manager was that he said that, you know, Michael, when you started here, I wasn't even sure whether we would continue with this uh, program at that time before it was a program, then it got transitioned to an agile release. He said, this was giving me so much headaches and the business was furious with the quality they received. And when I left, he said that I only hear good things about it if I hear anything, because everything is self-managed and they are now an exemplary case of how to make an uh, program successful, even though it was not a program anymore, but an agile release train in that sense. But they were being used internally as a case study of how to become successful. So that is what I can say, is you can get really out of a crisis, not only into something that works, but something that is aspirational for others to say let's do the same thing all right so thank you for sharing that obviously i'm aware you have ndas that you're under but that's that's useful to know <laughs> how how might someone get started then where should someone begin with top structure if if you want to leave our listeners with any links to more information about you your work and and to get started with top where should they go Actually, the only resource that you currently can get to is top.intelligence.com. What we do have on this website is uh, an invitation to get some training from me personally. At the moment, I'm the only person who can give this training. I would like to change this one because I know that if more companies want to take advantage of this, I also need other people who are able and willing to say i would like to promote this way of working um, you have a guide on there that you can read it's a really simple getting started guide it's even shorter than the scrum guide it's like less than seven thousand words i'm not sure how many pages that is but it's really short so you can pick up some ideas you can try your own experiments based on that and of course, uh, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn, get in touch with me. And finally, on the Top Structure website, I also have a link to our community. It's not so active yet because we're still very small as a community. But I would like to welcome everyone to join that community and any questions you have. That's why I'm there. I will answer them. Amazing. So thank you, Michael. As we as we wrap up this episode uh, on the top structure, I'd like to just remind everyone in this ever evolving world of Agile, it's important that we try innovative new ways of doing things, keeping us moving forward. 
and I would like to celebrate Michael for his work and encourage others to continue continue doing so as well because it's very much admirable to be disruptive to try new things and to learn and demonstrate agility always seeking continuous improvements so uh, to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in and being involved in the Virtually Agile show, the Virtually Agile community. We've got weekly episodes lined up, so don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out and uh, don't stop believing, folks. Thank you, Michael. Bye. Okay, Chris, thanks for having me. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.